Specialty Story, session number 170. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, our host here every week, where I get to have amazing conversations with physicians. And this week, I have a great one. I get to speak with Dr. Sharin Tofai, a hernia specialist. You're going to hear all about her journey into her specialty, being a hernia specialist, and much more. You can follow Dr. Tofi on all of the social medias at Hernia Doc, most specifically on Twitter and Instagram. Again, that's Hernia Doc, D-O-C. We start the conversation to find out how Dr. Tofi first became interested in surgery and hernia specifically. I was kind of late in the act. I was a third year medical student towards surgery was my last second to last rotation. And all I wanted was internal medicine to be my last rotation because I thought by then I'd be really good and I'll get honors and I'll get into the best internal medicine specialty uh, residency program because I wanted to be a nephrologist Mm. Uh, only because when I was an undergrad, I met a nephrologist and he was really cool and everyone loved him. His name is Dr. Saleh. Everyone knows him at UCLA. And uh, that's all I knew. <laughs> I didn't know anything else about nephrology. And then I loved my surgery rotation. This was at UC San Diego. I felt like I was a valuable member of the team and my intern quit. So I was the default intern as a third year and my chief was really difficult, so I tried really hard to please him. And my chair was also uh, quite um, challenging. And so I I aimed to please him, and I succeeded. So I'm like, this is great. But I really wanted to be a, a nephrologist. So unfortunately, I then did my internal medicine rotation all, already having had a taste of surgery, and it just didn't compare for me. So. I ended up being a surgeon. How much, uh, I I love, I don't know if it's appropriate. I I think it's still so, um, it's such a big issue among females who want to go into general surgery, go into any surgical field, because there's still this male-dominated stigma around surgery. How much of that have you had to kind of compete not only with your own kind of mindset of like, I can do this even though uh, I am a female, but but from just going through training as a woman as well. Oh, I think it's better, but not by that much. I think the more we have female surgeons in these specialties, the more we can serve as mentors and role models for all different types of students. And if they look at us and say, oh, well, she did it so I, I can do it, and that really helps. I didn't really have any female mentors, um, but my family was very supportive. And when I said I want to be a surgeon, they're like, great. If I wanted to be a psychiatrist, that was kind of my other option because I really enjoyed psychiatry. They were, would have been fine with that too. So it wasn't an issue in my family. Um, but my mom would hear things like, well, you know, maybe, are you sure you want her to be a surgeon? Maybe really she should 
consider something more feminine like pediatrics. Yeah. Um, and I know that during residency, our interactions, like as a female, I for sure needed to be much more friendly and um, uh, like recognize what the nurses did much more, whereas the men didn't really do any of that with the nurses and they seemed to be getting a bit better treatment. At least that was our impression. Yeah. Um, and then throughout my career, definitely there were issues of like my, I left my first job because the glass ceiling was super, super low. And now I'm on my third job and this is like the best ever because I'm my own boss. And so I can't, I can only fire myself. I can only uh, hinder myself. There's no other person preventing me to do what I want to do. And I don't know if part of that is just my personality or does my like being female have anything to do with it. I kind of felt like it did. Um, But I do know that it's getting a little bit better as we have more women in the field. Yeah, good. And talk about the the kind of subspecialization here into hernias. How did yeah. you stumble into going, I want to be the hernia doc? I mean, doesn't everyone want to be a hernia doc? <laughs> of course. Of That's course. But I just me. want to hear your journey. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. Hernia surgery is not something most surgeons go into, especially female surgeons. It's kind of the urology of general surgery. Uh, but that said... Uh, I, I definitely didn't want to be a hernia surgeon when I was in training. It's not really considered back then. It wasn't really considered much of a specialty or subspecialty, I should say. And I didn't really understand hernia surgery very well. So I was uncomfortable with it, but you know, you're every general surgeon is trained in hernia surgery. And my first job was at the big County hospital in Los Angeles, one of the biggest in the US, if not the world. And my first patient was a mesh infection that kept getting bounced from GYN clinic to general surgery clinic and back and not really getting treatment. And I just jumped in and took care of her as my first patient and she did great. And I then got involved with the American Hernia Society. I didn't even know there was such a society. (laughs) And, uh, showed up at their meeting and they were so gracious and so grateful, I think, to have new members, number one, because it was kind of a small society, mostly elderly men. And they were just really supportive. And I loved it because everything I learned about hernia surgery, uh, they debunked. And I felt like I was learning something new. And also all the people that I read about, I read their papers or there's like surgeries named after them, they were at this meeting. I'm like, this is so cool. And uh, slowly I then became less of a acute care or general surgeon and more of a hernia specialist. And now that I'm in my own solo practice, I've dedicated 100% of my time to taking care of hernia problems and also all my research is hernia-based. Wow. What are some of the biggest myths or misconceptions around uh, hernia surgery that, that you're constantly debunking among uh, general <laughs> surgery residents or medical students? Well, if anyone follows me on social media, they know my hashtag. It's not just a hernia. <laughs> and that's the problem is that people think, oh, it's just a hernia. And so 
it's not given the time and effort and respect that I feel that hernia surgery needs. So that's why I feel there are a lot of patients that are hurt by hernia surgery, whether they have nerve injuries or mesh problems. Uh, it's because that the surgeons maybe are not aware of newest treatments and newest technologies and importance of technique. And so they treat it as just a hernia. Um, uh, so it's not just a hernia uh, in that, you know, it, it should be treated with the same respect as colon cancer and breast cancer and pancreatic surgery and heart surgery, I believe. And we have shown that if you go to an expert that, as with any other specialty operation, the expert's outcomes are much better. So uh, that's the first and main thing is that people go in thinking, oh, it's just a hernia surgery. They don't do their research or the surgeon doesn't necessarily tailor their surgery to the needs of that patient. And so some people may have bad outcomes. Yeah. The second thing I would say is that as I, as I am a female surgeon, uh, there are very few of us that are female in this hernia surgery field. I do end up seeing many more women than usual. And I should see maybe a 10 to one ratio of males to females, but I'm more of a one to one ratio. Wow. So I disproportionately see many more women than I should based on like the statistics of who gets hernias. And what I've learned is that women are completely different than men when it comes to hernias. They present differently. They have different symptoms and they don't even have a bulge most of the time. So they get the runaround of different diagnoses and not hernia diagnosis. And so that's one of the main research projects that I have is to debunk the treatment of hernias among women. Yeah, was, that was the first thing that popped into my mind when you said it's it's very disproportionate compared to your colleagues. Is yeah. are, are these women who are seeing you? Are are they? Would they have just gone undiagnosed? But for some reason, because they know you're around, they they go and see you because you're a, a female, and and maybe they have more trust in you just because of that. And so now they're getting finally diagnosed, or they're misdiagnosed somewhere else. So, it's interesting yeah. to, to see why that is. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the New York Times did an article with me about one of my patients, and that was back in, I think, 20, 2006, maybe? Mm -hmm. And maybe even before then. Uh, sorry, 2011. And I still have patients coming to see me based on that one New York Times article because they read it and they say, oh, I felt like I was reading about myself. Yeah. Um, do they present yeah. differently, like a like a heart attack in a female versus a male? Yes. Is it just a completely yes. different presentation? Thank you for making that analogy because yeah. we just uh, presented exactly that, where we called it the uh, it's the angina of the pelvis, basically. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, women present differently. Uh, they don't have a bulge necessarily, but they have groin pain. And they're most more likely to have pain with their menses, but it's not endometriosis. They are more likely to present with pain than the bulge, whereas men have a bulge and then they may get pain. And uh, their symptoms are very different. We, we just uh, were about to publish our results. But what we found is that because the symptoms are so different, that women, number one, get much delayed in, in their diagnosis by over a year. Wow. And number two, they're more likely to be given narcotics 
and opioids mm. than men before they get the definitive diagnosis. So they're labeled with chronic pelvic pain, which means nothing. It means you have pain. Um, and they fall into this, you know, maybe it's all in your head. Uh, <laughs> Hysteria diagnosis. <laughs> yeah. 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 Got it. <laughs> Whereas men are like, oh, there's a bulge. Okay, you have a hernia. We'll fix it. Yeah. So it's a very different presentation, very similar to cardiac angina, um, which we've seen, you know, if you understand that women don't present with uh, left side chest pain radiating to their left arm, they have like acid reflux symptoms or back yeah. pain or, or nausea that's, that's different than men, then you can save lives. And the same is true for hernias. Let's let's um, define what a hernia is because a lot of students listening to this may may be sports fans and they hear their favorite athlete has a sports hernia, but yeah. hernias are are not all sports hernias. Talk talk about kind of in general what is a hernia? Where where do we see them in the body? Oh sure. So a hernia is a hole. That hole is either man made, like you had surgery, or it was you were born with it like in a belly button, like your umbilical cord. Um, and that hole should not be there or was there and just got bigger, was there naturally and just got bigger. Um, and then that hole in the muscle can then have things go through it, usually fat, but sometimes intestine. And so we worry if there's intestine stuck or there's a need for emergency surgery because something is stuck in that hole. Hopefully, uh, fortunately, the majority of the time, it just causes either no symptoms or pain and it's not an emergency. But as with the whole, like in a wall, you have to fix it and there are different ways of fixing it. And um, there are consequences for the different choices, whether it's mesh, no mesh, laparoscopic, open, like each option has its own kind of cadre of complications. And that's what I do mostly is to treat the complications. Interesting. So you get, you see a lot of people who potentially are coming to you after already being repaired and now something's gone wrong and you're, you're the, the superhero coming in to save the day. <laughs> uh, right. So 80% of what I do is revisional. I'm not the first surgeon that's operate on the patient. Yeah. And then the other 20% are primary patients. A lot of them are women with um, undiagnosed hernias as a cause of their pelvic pain. Interesting. Yeah. No. What does a typical day look like for you? Oh, it's, let me tell you, I don't know how many people you interview that are, that have left the institution and are on their own. <laughs> it's heaven. My life is heaven. You should come visit my office. What, what I is so to, special about your office? Well, besides being beautiful space. in Beverly Hills. I, I am a Southern California guy. <laughs> I grew up in Redondo Beach, so not too far away from you. Well, you know, like it's it's a beautiful area. You yep. get to drive by Rodeo Drive. For Christmas, they really spruce up the city. My office manager, Sheila, she loves Christmas. So we currently have like wreaths and flowers and candles. And it's just beautiful. I have a research student that works full time with me and a um, resident that does research with me. So they come in and out of the office. I get to hang out with young people. Um, my nurse is awesome. And then and I see patients about two to three, sorry, two days a week, and I operate two to three days a week. Um, I used to take call before I did this when I was part of an institution. I don't take call. Um, I'm always available for my patients 24-7, whether I'm 
at work or in a different country. So that is that is one thing where my patients either email me or call me, um, but it's not very onerous at all. But I am available all the time for my own patients. And if they end up having emergency needs, I'm available, but I don't take emergency call or do anything else in the emergency room, which is a huge plus as you grow older. Yeah, that's very nice. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, talk about the the glass ceiling that you talked about earlier. I, I think a lot of a lot of people going through this process, whether they're they're listening now, a few years from now, they're in their training or or out in their first job as an attending. I'm interested to hear kind of the thought process that you've gone through changing changing jobs a couple of times, really trying to find the best fit for yourself and potentially yeah. some lessons that you've learned to hopefully shortcut some of that for someone else going through this. Yes, I even wrote a chapter on it where I really shared the details of my life. There's a book by Dr. Dana Tellum that's coming out uh, trying to help people you know, manage their careers. And we're talking about diversity and uh, gender-based issues and so on as well. Um, so once that book comes out, I, I hope everyone enjoys reading my chapter because I really did share a lot of details of what I went through. But I think when you graduate from residency, you have this ideal of like what your job will be like. And it's probably like what you've seen. So you see your own professor, she said, okay, I'm going to be just like them. And the reality is you will change your job at on average three jobs. Uh, that's normal. So most people will not stay on their first job. Mm. And as you grow older, your values change. Plus you want to also feel like you're, you're a valuable person to your uh, place of employment, that you get appropriately praised for what you do, and also that you get paid appropriately. So for me, payment was important, but I also mostly wanted just to be acknowledged for the amount of work I put in. And I was, I'm very ambitious. So, you know, I was on tenure track with my first job, you know, with assistant, associate and professor that was like, and then I want to be chairman or dean one day. And it just was, I was at a position where I felt that my chairman didn't support me in my career ambitions and I for sure would not allow anyone to actively you know affect my career uh, trajectory so that's why I left my first job the second job I kind of grew old it grew I kind of grew out of it because I was doing everything in my power to do what I was hired for. I was hired to be a surgical educator, to run programs and to build my hernia practice and to teach. It was mostly an educational job. And, you know, as, as you probably have heard, there's the uh, practice of medicine has been changing to be much more as to your volume and how much you're billing and um, being financially able to support your salary which I did, but it was just never good enough. And I was like the busiest general surgeon. I was, it was still not good enough. But as a general surgeon, especially as a hernia surgeon, I couldn't bring in the numbers that like a transplant surgeon was bringing in. So I felt I was happy with what I was doing, but it was just never good enough for the needs of the department. And that's when I really like 
I said, well, I just need to take this on myself. Yeah. Um, there's only so much institution can offer you. Uh, and what I've learned is when you're your own boss, it's risky, but it's also so gratifying because I go to meetings. No one asks me, oh, why are you out of town? I give <laughs> talks. No one says like, you need, see, you need to see 10 more patients in the office. So I do everything I really enjoy doing and no one is badgering me about it. And I, I just love it. But it's, it's for sure a luxury. Not everyone. For, I don't think you can do a straight out residency. It took me uh, 12 years to be able to gain the prominence to be able to sustain my own practice. Yeah. Do you feel like owning your own practice now, running your own practice and, and doing everything basically by yourself, obviously it sounds like you have a strong team around you, which is great. Much, um, yeah. but, but at the end of the day, it's still you as the doc. Do you feel like having that sort of practice gives you enough time for life outside of medicine? Yes. So uh, we used to be nine to five in the office and my office said, why can't we go eight to four? Because traffic is better and more patients are able to see us in the morning before work. So that was nice. Now we start earlier and leave earlier. Um, I definitely am, have 100% control over my schedule. Uh, so, and I'm kind of a very organized person anyway. So, um, it works out really well. My office always knows where I am and, and they kind of run my world anyway. And then what recently happened was I had two spine surgeries within a matter of like 13 months. Mm -hmm. And my mom <laughs> called the office and said, uh, she can't work these hours anymore. Cause I would work <laughs> Saturdays. If I, if I had surgeries backed up, we would book them for Saturdays and uh, I didn't care. And she's like, she called the office and said she needs to be off on Fridays. <laughs> and I fought it so much because it was so against my personality. And, and as a surgeon, like take time off for yourself. Like, yeah, that's not heard of. Uh, and it's been three years now where I don't see, I operate on Fridays sometimes, but I don't see patients on Fridays. And that one day, I to this day feel guilty that I take the day off, but I do also secretly love it. Yeah. And it's, I think you forget that like normal people do run errands and stuff during the day. <laughs> and as a surgeon, like you're like, oh, bank. Yeah, that's a tough one. When do I get to go to the bank? Yeah. Like it's so hard because their hours conflict with your hours all the time. What so is it's that? Nice to have Fridays off. Yeah, the, that thought process. I I, I understand it because uh, my my wife is going through some something similar as a very subspecialized neurologist, where um, the the thought of changing anything in her practice, it's like, well, I'm the only one that can see these patients, right? Especially for you, yeah. who's doing mostly revisions. These people are 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 falling apart, right? <laughs> Literally yeah. sometimes. And, and they need you. And then you're like, well, if I'm not doing it, nobody else is. Um, how do you, how do you overcome that thought process? Yes. It's a problem because you kind of, uh, I mean, I, I'll be turning 50 in a year. And so I need to think about, you know, what happens one day when I want to retire. And I don't want to be that surgeon who's 80 or 75 years old and still operating. 
Um, I have a lot more things I want to do with my life, like inventing products and, and education and so on. Um, but yeah, I tried to hire a physician assistant to at least kind of decompress me for some of the post-op work. And the patients didn't want to be seen by the physician assistant. They want to be seen by me. Um, so that didn't work out. And he was great. It had nothing to do with him. It just the patients, I would want to see my surgeon after surgery. Yeah. So that didn't work out. It may work out in these like high volume, more like a public type hospitals, but it doesn't work very well when you have such a private practice. Yeah. And I've been looking to hire someone to join my practice, but uh, I don't know if it's a control thing or (laughs) (laughs) I need to find someone that I can trust that also represents me and um, can have a honest kind of role, get along with my staff, treat (laughs) my patients the way I would want them to be treated. So it's a very common entrepreneurial dilemma of hiring someone who is never going to care about your business the way that you do. So it's, it's always hard. Right. Yeah. So there's, there is that. Yeah. What is the path to becoming a hernia specialist look like? So right now, anyone who is trained in general surgery can choose to focus their time and effort to hernia surgery. There is no other official training pathway. That's kind of what I did. Um, A lot of the, MIS or minimally invasive surgery fellowships can be hernia heavy. And so if you're interested in hernia surgery, you can do a MIS fellowship where you're doing a lot of laparoscopic and robotic surgery, but a large proportion of it is abdominal wall based. There are a couple of abdominal wall hernia fellowships that are not yet accredited because we don't really have officially accredited hernia surgery fellowships, but they're very good. They're with other surgeons, mostly on the East Coast, that um, that do a lot of hernia surgery, and they have a fellowship as part of it. There, it just comes with a certificate. There's no like society or yeah. uh, council that uh, oversees it yet. But we are, as a society, we are looking towards having an official hernia surgery fellowship because. Uh, it's become more popular. The society's grown stronger, and uh, hospitals are seeing the need for it. And so, more jobs are looking for people that are um, interested in hernia surgery. So, every fellow that I've graduated uh, in the past couple of years have all gotten like hernia-based jobs in really top-notch institutions because of their experience. Wow! Sounds like you should hire them yeah. to help you. <laughs> I have tried, but you know. <laughs> um, yeah. Once once someone gets to this point to to become a hernia specialist, obviously going through general surgery training, uh, becoming a hernia specialist. You mentioned uh, MIS for for minimally invasive surgery. Are, are there subspecialties within the hernia world to say like I only do? Uh, robotic hernia repairs, or I only do X X type of hernia. Is there that sort of subspecialization out in the real world? Uh, yes and no. There's no official designation, but there are surgeons that only do open surgery, but all they do is hernia surgery, but only open. Um, there are surgeons that do primarily robotic or laparoscopic surgery, 
and actually don't even know how to do like a tissue repair of a groin hernia. Um, so we as a society have not really defined what it means to be a hernia expert. Uh, everyone, there's a lot of people like in Los Angeles around me, <laughs> I'm, it's really me and this, and another surgeon at UCLA that really is prominent in the hernia world. But the, around my block alone, there's about 10 hernia centers and they're all basically, it's mostly a marketing yep. decision. Uh, they they also probably have a gallbladder center and a breast center. You know, it's doesn't mean necessarily that they are in any way, uh, officially recognized by yeah. any society. So it's, we have a good search engine yet. optimization. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it's, been, it's around me, at least it's mostly a marketing decision. Yeah. Uh, we don't really have an actual official designation yet as to what it means to be a hernia expert. Yeah. For the the osteopathic student out there, what do what do they need to be doing to potentially overcome any sort of negative bias for DOs? Well, DOs, uh, we're seeing more and more of them in the general surgery, uh, in the MD prominent uh, general surgery residencies. I know they have their own DO surgical residencies too. Not but anymore. Oh, are they? Is yeah, it's a, a single accreditation now? now, as of twenty twenty. Okay, well, good to know. I learned something yeah. from you today. Uh, okay, well, that's kind of where I was going, which is uh, it's pretty much integrated. So as long as you're a good candidate, then um, I don't see much of a difference as to what happens once you're done with your residency. Yeah. For the future primary care docs, what do you want them to know about hernias and what you're doing as a hernia surgeon to better help their patients? So one is to uh, definitely recognize hernia as a as a cause of symptoms. Now it could be bloating by like a little belly button hernia or pelvic pain or pain during intercourse, for example, of a groin hernia. Um, also know that there are those of us that treat the complications. So if a patient is really not getting the care they need, to uh, they can find us either online or on the America's Hernia Society website where we have a find a surgeon tab to find and refer. What I don't like is when people are sent to pain management uh, when their primary problem is it can be surgical and a lot of pain doctors are not aware of the what happens with hernia problems. Um, and then also for like I'm okay working up my patient. I don't uh, often I see people getting CAT scan after CAT scan, and that's really unnecessary for most hernias and probably not the best for groin hernias anyway. So you don't need to do a full workup. Just send them to your local general surgeon or hernia surgery specialist, and we should be able to take care of that for them. Yeah. Do you work closely with any other specialties? Oh, yeah. That's the beauty of my hernia center is we're multi-specialty um, in that I have a cadre. Like There are certain surgeons that, like me, who didn't necessarily learn what I've learned, what I practice. I didn't learn all of it during residency. I've learned it since residency. And so I work with gynecology, orthopedic surgery, spine surgery, urology, pain management, physical therapy. They're all part of my world. And I have a handful that are really smart 
Um, I also know others around the nation, but mostly around me that I refer to who um, can help me figure out what's wrong with my patients. And I do a lot of combination operations with plastic surgery, urology, uh, gynecology, where they may have endometriosis and a hernia or they, their bladder is stuck to their mesh. And so I work with these specialists together. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the things I love, love, love about what I do is all the different specialties that I've learned like what they do and kind of involve them in the care of my patients. What do you like the most about being a hernia specialist? I think it's really cool. I mean, when you go anywhere and they say you do hernia surgery, like isn't just that like a big crown on your (laughs) (laughs) crown on your head. I don't know. I think I enjoy the fact that I, I treat mostly healthy patients. They're not terribly ill. And I significantly improve their quality of life. My first job, I was saving a lot of lives um, as an acute care surgeon, but now I really improve patients' lives. And these are people that sometimes are depressed, uh, may get divorced, their sexual functions affected. Uh, they can't like maintain a job and then their life gets turned around by um, some of the operations I do. So I also like every so often I kind of play like Dr. House (laughs) because I have the time and interest to sit down with patients and figure out their problem and they'll have like million dollar workup and all these things. No one can figure out what their problem is. And, uh, I kind of act like the sleuth to try to figure out what they have. And it could be something totally esoteric like paraduodenal hernia or um, some like occult hernia that no one's ever been able to figure out because they did the wrong testing or it was misinterpreted for 12 years um, or it's really a hip problem. So I love the, at least in my, in my um, practice, I love doing all the, like the, the mystery puzzle solving part. What do you like the least? The least. Hmm. Oh, I think maybe the least is that it's kind of, uh, you don't have that um, feeling of like in the hierarchy or kind of lower in the hierarchy. I don't know how to explain it, but you know, if I said I was a, pancreatic cancer surgeon like that's like oh really but then if you see your hernia surgeon they kind of like change the subject okay it's so less glamorous <laughs> not very glamorous that's yeah. true it's not very glamorous yeah. and you know what i'll tell you something else for those of you talking thinking about jobs and stuff careers um being in private practice also there's like there's a little bit of less glamour in that you don't you know, before you'd be like, I'm associate professor of surgery at blah, 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 medical school. Whereas when you're in private practice, a lot of that kind of labels and titles are gone. Yeah. And uh, many people kind of like that and you don't, you don't have that. So I'm happy with my job, but um, in the eyes of many, it's like a step down because you went from the hierarchy of a surgical institution to you know, your, your beautiful private practice. 
yeah. off our day of drive. <laughs> yeah. And, and that comes with self-awareness of, of yes. what is really motivating you. Is it the title? Is it the recognition? Is right. it the freedom that you have now to create whatever schedule you want when, and be your yeah. own boss? Um, is it the, the stability of the paycheck coming from the institution versus going out and hustling yourself and, and finding all the patients yourself? There's, there's uh, pros and cons to both. It's just a lot of self-reflection and self-awareness to understand what what drives you yeah and it's not for everyone some people need that title and i thought i did that's you know uh a lot of like i said earlier you know i was on tenure track and my i wanted to be chair or dean one day and those things have been offered to me since and i'm just not interested anymore because I enjoy what I'm doing much more. And the fact that I'm my own boss is priceless. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see any major changes coming to the field of, of hernia surgery specifically that you think someone should be aware of? Well, robotics has really changed what we do. Robotic surgery has completely changed, uh, the world of hernia surgery. That's number one. Uh, it wasn't intended to be something for hernia surgeons. It was really like urology and some of the other specialties where like colorectal surgery, where the robot added a lot of benefit. And then all of a sudden some really innovative surgeons started using it for hernias. And now we're doing things that we thought could only be done open because you can't do it laparoscopically. It's too complicated. And now you can do it robotically. So that's really improved outcomes for patients. And then, um, the other thing with with uh, hernia surgery, I think, is that we're kind. Of, so that's moving forward, but we're also going backwards and really understanding the benefits of some of the original operations done in the '60s and '70s and late '50s, where it was tissue based. And um, I think that mesh is very overused in the United States, and we're getting a lot of mesh related complications that can be avoided in certain patients where maybe a tissue repair would have been just as good. So um, we're moving forward with robotics. And I think in some ways we have to go backwards a little bit and uh, learn better tissue repairs. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a hernia specialist? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> easy answer. Easy question. Yeah, that's, that was easy. <laughs> what final words of wisdom do you have for the student listening to this now having their interest peaked with, uh, with hernia surgery? Yeah, I mean, it'll probably change. There was no such thing as like a hernia surgery uh, specialty. Not really when I was in, in training. I think keep your, uh, keep your options always open. Uh, I didn't want to be a surgeon uh, before medical, before the end of medical school, but I became one. I definitely didn't like hernia surgery. And then I became one. Um, <laughs> I thought I'd be future chairman and kind of poo pooed people in private practice. And now I'm in private practice. So you really cannot predict your future and always be open for change. All right. There you have it again, Dr. Sharin Tofai a hernia specialist who's been out in practice now for many years, who has her own private practice, which you can find at beverlyhillsherniacenter.com. You can also find her at herniatalk.com. And if you want some more information about hernia and specifically hernia surgery, go to americasherniasociety.org. Again, that's Society. 
www.thepowerhouse.org. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Tofai. And if you're interested in surgery, specifically hernia surgery, go check out all of those links that I gave you. And I hope to catch you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.